coming up on the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. I think it's interesting just to kind of frame what technology is. I know one of my psychedelic therapy sessions, uh, I was towards the end of the session, I was laid down in front of a giant gong and singing bowls, you know, the crystal bowls and playing those. So that's a form of technology. And it really helped with the kind of the come down process of the experience. It was like maybe the last hour of the journey. So I don't see it replacing. I see it as a benefit to the patient and the clinician as a way to potentially prime them before going into the session and using it as an integration tool. I think that right now it's challenging to imagine specifically within the VR world as well as light therapy to do it during session because the session is usually an experience within itself. But the big focus for us is that this is experiential medicine. Psychedelic therapy is experiential medicine and so are these digital therapeutics. So there's a, there's a way to pair them together to where they benefit everyone involved. Yeah, I, I really see that as, as being kind of the ultimate stack within the experience itself. Welcome to the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast, a weekly conversation series with leaders in psychedelic culture, designed for therapists, healers, retreat leaders, and passionate enthusiasts. Presented by Maya and hosted by me, Eamon Armstrong. Welcome back to the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Eamon Armstrong. The world of digital therapeutics is booming just as fast as psychedelic therapy. Today's guest, Lyle Maxson, is resolutely optimistic about the positive synthesis of the two. On the show, we discuss the science of Lyle's software, SoundSelf, which uses voice to generate a hypnotic world of light, color, and sound. We review his business partner, Robin Arnott's Technodelic Manifesto, and ask the important question, will technology replace therapists? We also cover data sovereignty, metric tracking, and finally, the future of psychedelic medicine and digital therapeutics. With a start in immersive environments at festivals, Lyle Maxson is a pioneer of transformative entertainment. He is chief strategy officer of Entheo Digital, a digital therapeutics company pursuing FDA clearance and the creation of a wellness technology marketplace at the intersection of psychedelic therapy and experiential medicine. He is also the co-founder of Andromeda Entertainment, a VR publisher bringing to market games for good, and Genius X, a VR education platform. And now, here's Lyle. Is there anything that you like to do prior to a podcast or a talk? Or is there any way, with considering your background in, in neurohacking? And, and I think we should uh, take three deep breaths, followed okay. by one ohm. Okay, I'm down for that. Should I sit up for the deep breath and the ohm? Yeah, we can do that. Let's take a nice deep breath through the nose, and then we're going to exhale through the mouth three times, followed by one prolonged ohm. So Lyle, why did we just do that? It's a good state shift. 
drops you into your body, stops the rat race, the spinning hamster wheel. So if it's as easy as three breaths in an ohm, why do we need technological devices to assist us in these sorts of state change? Why isn't it just something that we can do as our ancestors once did through diving into cold water and making lots of chanting sounds together? What's the value of technology? Yeah, I think there's multiple parts to that. One is that it's very complementary, that you're using these experiences to train yourself to be able to take the technology off and then do it in the real world. And through these technologies, usually you get some sort of feedback or metrics or an ability to train and see measurements happen. And then it it inspires you to actually want to do it more often without the technology. And that's always been my stance is using this tech in order to bio, you know, biohacking, neurohacking, VR, XR, all this stuff is ideally used to upgrade the real world avatar that is you instead of the avatar, the fictional avatar in a video game, and then using those skills in the real world and just making you a more alive person and the different aspects that you train with the tech. And then the second part would be that there's not a lot of space for people to go into a river and do cold plunges. So like the tech that I have in my backyard, being that Topanga is very dry, is a cold plunging freezer. So, you know, a lot of times this tech is used because we can't just drive off to a monastery because we're gonna be in our living room. So why not have the assistance of these things that put you as close to being inside of a temple as you could be without actually being there. So it's not in order to replace it, but in order for you to get the next best thing. I love what a wonderful job you've just done foreshadowing our entire conversation, which is great. Lyle, welcome to the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. It's an honor to have you here with me. And I'm really excited to learn about digital therapeutics, how they relate to the psychedelic therapy world, and most especially, how they relate to psychedelic therapists themselves. As we discussed prior to pressing the record button, there is some fear in the space that there might be a replacement of technology for human, particularly at a time when human contact is something that many of us have been desperately starved of. So this is a very pressing conversation for the community, and I'm grateful that you are here and that you're doing the work that you're doing with SoundSelf and with your other ventures to explore this new frontier with the philosophical posture that you've just presented, which Mm. is that these are tools that we use to train and to augment real life experiences, real connection, real healing. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome that even in just the last two weeks, you've landed here in Topanga and we've connected at multiple experiences and my birthday and all these things and went from knowing each other kind of online through emails to now uh, having a evolving relationship. It's great. And doesn't that map to the conversation too? Because if it weren't for the online and the emails, then who knows, would we have noticed each other in an actual physical space? So this, exactly. this augmentation of our deep needs as humans, our deep social needs, our healing needs, these our Maslow's hierarchy all the way to the top, it can be augmented. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be the work that you, sir, are involved in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's all about how to better our relationship with technology and how 
we could lean away from the escapism and the addiction prompts and the cortisol spikes that technology has been producing over the years to a more integrated experience where you're actually working on yourself and it's more around self-improvement and integration than escapism. Well, let's start with something that's often considered escapism, festival culture. You and I both got our psychedelic chops in the space of transformational experiences and events. And it does seem like there's a really common through line, whether it's the Zendo project, doing trip sitting at Burning Man and elsewhere, or in your case, creating experiences at festivals, then evolving those experiences into actual healing containers. So can you tell me a little bit about how your work in festival culture evolved into what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So it started honestly when I was 18, 19 and wanted to be paid to party. I was always very much entrepreneurial mindset and looking at the things that I enjoyed doing. And at that time it was going out and being with friends. And I was really looking at festival culture, primarily this company Relentless Beats that does a lot of big music festivals in Arizona where I'm from. And looking at, okay, so if I bring all my friends to these events, then they're going to pay me for it. And I get to give my friends discounts on these events. So it started as this promotional experience. It didn't last long at all because I did not like selling experiences to friends. I liked creating them. Right as I was starting to get out of college, I approached Relentless Beats and with the business partner at the time asked if we could basically start to operate this creation experience in their festival because like most mainstream festivals it was just a stage or two headlining djs and a bar and concessions so i was really inspired by the lightning in the bottles of the world and saw that there was this huge need to bring transformational culture to the mainstream that most transformational events were preaching to the choir and that when i showed up to my very first one which was lib i think it was like 2013 I mean, I had straight broke down and started crying in the middle of the temple, feeling like I finally found my family. I had no idea that there were so many people like me that were these seekers and were so, you know, enthralled by this movement and would rather be at a temple in the middle of an event than next to a stage. So I approached Relentless Beats and they said, that's all sounds great, but we don't have any money to pay you. Myself and my business partner at the time went back uh, to my apartment and started thinking like, how could we pay for ourselves to do this? And the big thing that came up was sponsorships. Then we started looking at, okay, who's sponsoring events? It's Pepsi, it's Red Bull, it's Sugar Water that has an infinite budget and they don't produce anything cool at events typically, unless it's like a Coachella, they usually just provide bar infrastructure. So then it was like the big thought process that came to me was how do I bring conscious companies into events and do it in a sustainable way that supports the, the company showing up there, the attendees and the festival producer. So I started bringing in companies like True Rest, which is the largest float spa company. They would curate oxygen bars and massage tables. And I'd start to bring in these companies. And eventually that grew to where there was no need for sponsorship anymore, that the activation itself was so engaging and so different and created such a positive experience for the fans that festival producers started paying me budget to then start creating activations at the event. So it evolved from a very salesy sponsorship experience to then all of a sudden being 
this creative experience engine. I'm picking up a passion for mental wellness. You're talking about these sugary drinks that aren't providing anything and you wanted to bring a consciousness, you wanted to bring oxygen bars, you wanted to bring massage. And these are sort of general kind of wellness tools. And I see that continuing through your work. Do you personally have a connection to mental health and working in the mental health space in your own life? Absolutely. It's so funny because I, I just started doing EMDR therapy and one of the big onboarding process in that is doing your trauma history, which I found fascinating and just amazing within itself. Uh, even though you're not with a therapist, you're actually at home writing from birth to present day, everything that has made a traumatic impact in your life. But one of the big things that they ask is, what do you do for your mental health? And I could just see my therapist's eyes just light up when I, you know, I got like halfway through the protocols of the things that I do. And she's like, wow, you are so ready for this type of therapy. So yeah, I mean, I've been very involved for a very long time. I started meditating and doing lucid dream work actually when I was probably around 17. I got really into lucid dreaming. That was my gateway in the ability to manipulate your dreams and to contact your higher self or these, you know, parts of your subconscious that led to spiritual growth in a lot of ways was very much the gateway for me. And, and now, I mean, it's, you know, a barrel sauna and a cold plunge in my backyard. I have an entire separate house as a part of the the farmhouse experience that I live in now that was formerly a music studio that I converted into a biohacking dojo that has infrared lights and vibrating beds and VR therapy and chi machines and Pandora light therapy, which is an incredible device. It's become a very big part of my life and just has progressively, you know, gotten more involved over the years. So that sounds like a lot of stuff to do, <laughs> which is great for a hobbyist, certainly. Yeah. How do you gauge what kind of tools are helpful in your own experience of wellness? And what I'm getting at here is when we're looking at a broad category of what we might call digital therapeutics and auxiliary sort of practices to that, are there things that you know work a certain way for you? Is there a sort of measurement-based system around what you choose to do for your own healing and growth? Hmm. Yeah, so there is some structure to it. I do use things like the Aura Ring to see how these technologies are impacting things like my HRV, my sleep cycles. And then the more flow-based experience of that is just how emotionally I feel. And typically, Yes, I do experiment with a lot of things, but I actually enjoy combining a lot of these technologies together. So having vibrational therapy mixed with light therapy. And yeah, it's really about how do I have this not be such a part of my life to where it takes three or four hours a day, but it's a 20 minute drop in or a 30 minute drop in each day that fully you know, recalibrates me to take on all of the amazing work. You mentioned EMDR, and this is a technique of cross-cranial stimulation through eye movement. So you're tracking a wand, and that's proven to be, or I believe proven, but certainly theorized to be efficacious in helping you integrate trauma. Are there any other experiences that you have explored in terms of biohacking that have been part of a more sort of formal therapeutic setting? Yeah, the product that we have out now, SoundSelf, is very much focused on that. My other VR company, well, I have 
So there's three of them now, but it's because the new digital therapeutics company called Entheo was a spinoff of the VR publishing company Andromeda. So within Andromeda, we have uh, a variety of, of therapeutic software, two of which are published now, and we have another four coming into the pipeline. So one of which is called Regucept, which is a very interesting piece of software that's actually around chronic pain management. So you're actually putting on a VR headset, you're going into the anatomy of your body, and you're finding your pain receptors. So it's basically a combination of Western medicine meets shamanic visualization. And so you're going in, you're using the head tracking of the headset to shoot away your pain receptors. So it's this gamified experience that when you go in, it's actually reducing pain through just the very strong placebo effect of having autonomy over your body's pain receptors. So it's not actually shooting anything into you. You are visualizing that these specific pain receptors related to your chronic pain are being annihilated or heal. I mean, are they, are you shooting them? Like you kill them or are they like healed in a certain way? Is how, what's the actual experience? Yeah, they, they actually do like explode, like pop. They're basically like these, there are these neurons that are firing and you're using your, the head tracking. I wouldn't say it doesn't feel like an arcade game or anything. It feels much more holistic than that, but yeah, there's definitely like the, you're turning these things off type of experience. Well, let's talk about sound self, since that is indeed the primary focus of our conversation today. So we're talking about digital therapeutics and how they relate to the psychedelic space. And there's a term that I'm not sure if your business partner, Robin, coined it, technodelic. I don't know if he coined the expression, but he was the author of a technodelic manifesto. Uh And I think that perhaps a way for our audience to locate themselves into the philosophy behind sound self and indeed your own philosophy, and perhaps what may uh, become a more pervasive philosophy throughout digital therapeutics for their psychedelic experiences. Let's talk a bit about the technodelic manifesto. What are the characteristics of an experience that is technodelic? Yeah, so Robin might have a more granular answer, but for me, it's it's really around producing altered states of consciousness through technology, through software. What makes SoundSelf unique is that it's a biofeedback experience that actually uses your voice. There's a lot of, of magic in that and talking, as you brought up initially, around these ancient shamanic principles, these things that have been you know, propagated throughout culture since the beginning of time, they don't get used a lot. You know, when we're doing things like tracking HRV or, you know, that's heart rate variability, right? Yeah. Tracking the heart, tracking like your brain waves. It feels very scientific. It doesn't feel like a, a holistic approach. And with sound self, you're toning the entire time. So you're doing these prolonged tones. You could be singing, you could be chanting, you could be oming, whatever it is. But that is creating the feedback loop of lights, vibration, and sound so that it really just drops your body into this trance state. So I know a lot of what Robin wrote about in that manifesto is around creating trance states in video games. So initially, the experience was developed as a game in VR, and it's been published and and out on Oculus and Steam and HTC, all the major platforms for the last, I would say we're right over a year now. Um, And then about four months ago, we decided to bring it into a more therapeutic setting. Anecdotally, we were finding that a lot of people were using it for psychedelic 
therapy, whether they were using it as a primer before going into a session or as an integration tool. So now we're really focused on how do we bring that experience to a larger audience. And with light therapy, it's not only more therapeutic because your brain is now creating the visuals, your eyes are closed, as opposed to us creating the visuals in VR, but it's also much cheaper. So uh, light therapy glasses could be plugged into any computer and, and ran directly from that, even including you know, an old version of a MacBook where the VR version required a, a VR computer and headset. So that it's been a, a huge shift for us and the impact that it's made thus far has been amazing. So for SoundSelf, you um, can do it in a VR headset. You can also do it on a desktop computer, but it's preferred to have the lights off, no distractions, so you can really zone into it. Are you using any biosensors or anything, or is it just the mic on the computers picking up the voice and then creating um, a kind of visual journey that responds to it? Is that the case? Correct, and that's what's so great is that, especially with VR, there are some companies that have been implementing biofeedback, but it requires more hardware. You have to buy you know, HRV band or an, a giant attachment. That's an EEG reader that goes on the headset. But with this, we could just use the existing hardware with the voice. And I think that that's really where it's going to start to go is, is a lot of these new VR headsets, including HP has uh, their new headset called the Reverb. And it's doing a lot around biometric tracking. Facebook is releasing their next version of their headset, which will be doing a lot of eye tracking. You could pick up heart rate variability through just the eye tracking alone, through how the pupil dilates and how it uh, pulses in the headset. So I think it's really important that we continue to create experiences that use the existing hardware just to be able to make it more accessible to a you know, 10-year-old gamer or a 50-year-old therapist. Yeah, that's a big focus for us. So I'd like you to speak to me like a layman because I very much am one. So you said that you noticed that people were using SoundSelf as a preparation or perhaps an integration or maybe even during a psychedelic experience. And what you've alluded to, and I'm not sure if you expressed this directly, but it certainly is implied in this being a project for psychedelic therapy, is that this particular process of experiencing this tonal reflection back into visualization actually has an impact on the body and on the potential for healing. Can you break down for me in the simplest terms possible what scientifically or biologically rather is actually happening mm -hmm. when someone uses this software, particularly in the context of psychedelic healing? Yeah, absolutely. So we've done a few pilot studies and a big thing that we're excited about with the spinoff company is we just hired a chief science officer who actually has a PhD in digital therapeutics. So this is going to... This is the guy with the first ever PhD in digital therapeutics, correct? I believe he is. I'm not okay. sure. I haven't heard of anyone else. I mean, it's, he just graduated. You know, he just got his doctorate. So it's very, very new. So the pilot studies have shown that it's basically creating the same brainwave states as a full dose of psilocybin. And, and what are those? So that means that there's the default mode network shutting off, which is basically responsible for your small self, your ego. And then there's a, a high increase in gamma and theta brainwave states. That's basically looking at brain scans comparatively of a full dose of psilocybin versus sound self. We were shocked to see how close they are. Yeah. And have you heard anecdotal evidence of any kind of healing breakthroughs in the context of using this? Absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. Primarily, we're really focused on the integration piece. I think that's missing in a lot of the new digital therapeutic tools that are coming out. I myself have gone through 
a few different psychedelic therapy experiences. And I've felt like that was the thing that was lacking the most. Everyone that I've talked to, and I'm sure most of the audience agrees that the integration is the most important piece of this. And to go back to my journal or to get a huge email from my therapist when I'm done after maybe one or two phone calls after the session to like really digest everything that came up and to do the journal assignments feels more like homework. And I'm not very motivated to do that. So what SoundSelf has been doing is basically bringing back those altered states of consciousness that you experience during a psychedelic trip. From a couple days out or even a couple months out, you could do this experience and all of a sudden have the same types of epiphanies and the experience that you may not have remembered or has drifted away into your you know, subconscious come right back to the forefront to allow a deeper integration. So we've heard one of the stories that, that we, myself and my business partner, Robin, love was this mom had told us that her daughter used the experience once. She had never done psychedelics. She used the experience. She went into the bathroom and she came back out and she's like, mom, I don't think that I'm fat anymore. So, you know, it, it's this full range. Some people go right to their journals. Some people have this full perspective switch. It's very interesting. And it's actually great too, that you could go on to Steam or the Oculus store and like the big part of the gaming platforms is all the reviews. So you can actually see a lot of reviews of people having these very interesting experiences. Is this something that should be stewarded by a therapist? This is publicly available software. So often through a psychedelic experience, you'll be having breakthroughs and then you know you nodded to the integration, you'll be having breakthroughs that then have sort of ongoing collateral aspects to them. You decide that you want to reckon with an abusive family member. How does one do that? There's things that come up when we have these breakthroughs. Is this software at this stage recommended to be facilitated by a therapist at any to any degree or are those resources available yeah absolutely so the the newest version which is the light therapy version which we use uh, avs glasses is what they're called audio visual stimulation we recommend that it is done in a therapeutic setting primarily for set and setting and bringing people in and out of the experience is very important the entire spin-off company now is is focused on creating those protocols and seeding, basically seeding the market with these types of technologies because this is the first, but we, as a VR publishing background, we have a variety of experiences that we plan to bring to market that fit directly into psychedelic therapy. And are you working with any particular psychedelic therapists now in terms of the what are the common pathways to integrating these psychedelic experiences that can then be translated to the software? Yes, we are primarily private practitioners now, but we are uh, working with people like USONA and it's really around, you know, we're, we're testing the waters and I feel like we're not going into this acting like we know everything that's going on. It's more around, we have a mighty networks group of a bunch of therapists that are talking about how they're using it in their practice. They're exchanging best practices and protocols that they're using. Sometimes they're doing it in office where they have a full vibrational bed. So the haptics are a really important piece of this, and the haptics are the vibrational component. So a vibrating bed is actually embedded with subwoofers. So that's a very deep experience because then you have the full body along with the audio and the visual. But then we also have the ability to just send them like a haptic vest, which is just literally like a vibrating backpack or just the glasses themselves. So they could do this type of work, the, the patient can do this type of work once they get home as well. So they could use it with the clinician inside of their office or, or at home. 
So at the very beginning of the conversation, we touched on this concern within the psychedelic therapy community that certain technological tools would be used to replace psychedelic therapists. Now, this is most notably mentioned in the cautionary tale, we will call it Paula, which I'm sure being in the community you've read. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you speak a little bit to the issue around technology potentially replacing therapists? Do we need human contact at all to heal? Yeah, absolutely. I am a strong proponent of that. And I think it's interesting just to kind of frame what technology is. I know one of my psychedelic therapy sessions, uh, I was towards the end of the session, I was laid down in front of a giant gong and singing bowls, you know, the crystal bowls and playing those. So that's a form of technology. And it really helped with the kind of the come down process of the experience. It was like maybe the last hour of the journey. So I don't see it replacing. I see it as a benefit to the patient and the clinician as a way to potentially prime them before going into the session and using it as an integration tool. I think that right now it's challenging to imagine specifically within the VR world as well as light therapy to do it during session because the session is usually an experience within itself. But the big focus for us is that this is experiential medicine. Psychedelic therapy is experiential medicine, and so are these digital therapeutics. So there's a, there's a way to pair them together to where they benefit everyone involved. Yeah, I, I really see that as being the ultimate stack within the experience itself. There's an aspect to this that has to do with accessibility. I mean, for one thing, psychedelics are broadly not legal. Ketamine is legal as an off-brand prescription for treatment-resistant depression. We have MDMA in phase three of clinical trials. These psychedelic medicines are not widely accessible. Then there's also the protocols, $30,000 for the MAPS protocol for MDMA. These are very expensive medicines. Do you see something like SoundSelf and similar digital therapeutics being able to bridge that gap in terms of accessibility while at the same time allowing people to have real in-person experiences with therapists and not taking that part over? I think that that's huge. You know, the legalization, being able to, to use this technology very easily, just downloading it on your computer. But there is also... Uh, there's a way for, for this technology to really open people's minds to what's possible. I, I forgot what the actual statistic was, but there's a large amount of people with treatment-resistant psychiatric disorders that are terrified to do psychedelics and have never done them before. So there's this huge barrier to entry. I think it's very interesting that something like SoundSelf is uniquely positioned to bring people into that type of experience and then for the clinician to possibly even be sitting with them and seeing how they're reacting to a full body biofeedback light sound vibration experience and say maybe how to properly dose them or if they're ready to go into this journey but like certainly they would feel more comfortable going into it after having a dose of of what it could be like and having an off button to turn off at at any moment. You spoke earlier in the conversation about how you were surprised to see the same brain states as psychedelics, the, the decreased activity in the default mode network, the gamma theta waves. Have you explored or do you plan to explore research around the experience of entering non-ordinary states generally without the use of psychedelics? Have you looked into research for this kind of software, or do you plan to? 
Yeah, we definitely plan to with Sundeep, who we're so excited to be bringing onto our team. Primarily right now, it is very focused on psychedelic therapy. I think that the technology and the focus on mental health related wellness technologies growing at almost the same pace as a psychedelic industry isn't by coincidence. And that's something that we should really focus on. In the long term, we do see ourselves developing and publishing experiences that are focused on on these types of brainwave states and benefits to the mental health without psychedelics as well. So you've been able to identify that there are certain brainwaves that are happening when someone is under the influence of this particular software. You've also had anecdotal evidence that people have had breakthrough experiences. Are you constantly testing the software in certain ways? How are you garnering evidence-backed adjustments to the work that you're doing? How do you track the software's efficacy? Yeah, it's, it is. We have been doing pilot studies. We are going into much larger research studies over the next six, six to eight months. And we are completely redeveloping the software specifically to focus on psychedelic therapy as well. And so we're just finishing a, a raise and a lot of the, those funds are going to be used to tailor this experience based off of what we hear from therapists, based off of what we hear from, from their, their clients as well. And yeah, it's a constantly evolving process. And I feel like the next version is going to be very interesting because there's a lot that actually could be gained from the voice. A lot of people aren't aware. I even heard during COVID that there was a a specific app you could download on your phone and by speaking into it, it could detect whether you have COVID or not. Wow. So literally just by your, your vocal intonation and all sorts of different metrics that you could actually pick up from the voice. You could tell a lot about somebody's health that way. Um, So it's going to be very interesting when we embed the software with the ability to track that as we progress um, and then actually use that as a way to determine the experience or create a protocol for the person using the software um, as they progress. So um, yeah, and then there is a lot around data sovereignty and there's some really interesting groups like Interaxion and the Muse team that are really focused on keeping biometric data sovereign. Uh, and I know that's a huge focus for us as well as we continue down the path. Yeah, can you speak just a little bit more about what data sovereignty is? I know it's, it's important to Maya. It's important in this burgeoning space that data is not sort of Facebookized. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you call it. What, to, what does data sovereignty mean to you? Yeah, so... From my very futurist lens, I never used to call myself a futurist, and now, I'm, now everybody's so in the zeitgeist, and there's so many people that tell me, like, Jesus, you are just in the future all the time, that I'm just going to start embodying it and, and claiming it more. So from, my, from that lens, so now if you were to get, quote unquote, hacked, your computer data would be, you know, it could be your bank accounts, it could be some sort of software that is in directing ads, or like you said, it's just Facebook directing ads. But in the future, when we all have AR glasses on, which isn't too far away, in the next five to eight years, they're going to be very prominent. Now, all of a sudden, people could actually hack your reality. So they could hack into not only your biometric data and see what's going on with your health and how you're being impacted by the certain things that are coming across you visually. But if you can imagine AR glasses where you're driving down the road and one of the most simple use cases will be the GPS on your glasses that basically show a 
like a beacon or some sort of arrow going down a road. Now all of a sudden they could be hacked and now you're driving in a different direction. But the simple overlay of some of these new glasses, including Apple's headset, um, that will be VR and AR compatible both, you could have the ability to literally hack into somebody's reality and change the world around them. So I, it's gonna become more and more important to protect this information. And I think it's what's so important about technology right now is that we could get in on the ground level. Of course, there is the Facebooks and the Samsungs and the Apples of the world that are moving into the space. But a lot of the VR industry in general right now is, is around indie developers, independent developers, small teams that are creating amazing experiences. And that's where a lot of the momentum is right now. So it's really interesting to think about how we could get in on the ground floor and the foundation of these emerging technologies and actually start to shift the you know consciousness of big business from the inside out. So, Mr. Futurist, what is what is the future of psychedelic medicine and psychedelic therapy specifically in your eyes? Yeah, so I would lean a lot on Adam Gazali's work. I think is amazing. We talk to him fairly often and just love the work that he's doing. I see a lot of what what is that work? Uh, Adam Ghazali has a few very interesting companies. Akili is made a lot of, of incredible breakthroughs and huge press over this last summer. Wow, it's almost been a year. They had the first FDA-approved video game for ADHD. It's actually the very first FDA-approved video game, period. So kids are actually now prescribed... Or, or can be prescribed a cell phone game that they play that creates new neurosynapses that actually gets them off of their Adderall, ideally. That is a very interesting route. I, I see that as being FDA approval of these digital therapeutics and actually replacing a lot of pharmaceuticals. I don't see it replacing psychedelics because I see psychedelics as being like sustainable energy to pharmaceuticals being the oil industry. We see it as being companion software to the psychedelic blooming industry and also as a full alternative to the pharmaceutical pop this pill and go on your way. What are some other projects in the space of digital therapeutics as they pertain to psychedelics are on your radar? What's interesting for us right now to look at? Yeah, I really like the work that uh, Android Jones. Has- oh yeah, Microdose VR. So they have Microdose, and I I don't know if I'm even, I don't think I signed an NDA with them, Uh, but they do have a new project that they actually showcase at Burning Man. So it's, it's, I guess it's relatively known information that they basically have created a passive version of Microdose, which is controlled by your HRV, by your heart rate. Oh, so instead of using a controller to sort of paint the landscape, you're actually, your heart is doing it. Yeah, so it's like generating these fractal, beautiful mandalas through your heart rate and you're dropping deep into a meditative state through the the visuals that are produced by your own biometrics. It's it's really, it's quite profound. Um, So there is a lot of it, you know, for me, we've been coming at it and I say we as in Andromeda and, and my partner Robin, we've been coming at it from a very much like a game developer perspective and very much bringing entertainment into the therapeutic space where a, a lot of companies are doing it the opposite. They're, they're huge teams of neuroscientists developing experiences and then l- layering on some sort of entertainment factor 
some sort of gamification or something that creates more replayability for the project where we're doing the opposite. And that's, those are the projects that we've been leaning on um, and looking at um, either acquiring or publishing is, is really focused on like the game elements first. Like this has to be entertaining in order for people to come back and actually want to use it. So yeah, I mean, we, there's a few like that. I, I brought up Regucept. That definitely has a strong gamified elements to it. There's another company called Seed Interactive. And they're based out of Canada and Toronto. Um, and they've been developing something called Cymatic, which is essentially a, uh, it's a tool to create your own biofeedback experience in VR. And one of their first experiences that they're creating with that is almost like a psychedelic rock band. Like if you've played the game Rock Band, so you have these different avatars playing music, um, but you're using full body movement, you're you know harmonizing with each other in this rhythm, you're creating these crazy experiences as you go. So a, a big factor for us is, and specifically with Andromeda, uh, with a publishing company has been around how do we Trojan horse consciousness and embodiment and mindfulness into a gamified experience. Um, so now approaching it from the digital therapeutics landscape, we still have that as a very core part of, of our mission. Um, and now it's just about validating that through science and making it replicatable and going through the process that allows for FDA trials and allows for a very consistent experience for the end user. Can you imagine any unforeseen side effects of technologies such as these? So I, I, how can you imagine them if they are unforeseen? But I imagine that you, Mr. Futurist, which maybe that's what I'll call the podcast, Mr. <laughs> Futurist. Perfect. I can imagine that you've got your eye on where there might be some issues. For example, television seemed like the best thing in the world, and then we spent all our time in front of it and got depressed. Social media is a perfect example of a similar trend. What sort of unforeseen side effects have you been investigating in terms of sound self and also digital therapeutics generally? Yeah, I'm so focused on the you know techno-optimist viewpoint because I feel like all the examples you brought up, it's everywhere. It's with the Facebook documentaries. It's with everything that's out now. It's like we're all very concerned about what's going on. I think for some of these more transformative entertainment experiences, there could be dependency on something like that. But for me, when, when I talk to people that are worried about VR, including investors that, that want to get into the space, but they're worried about it, it's really around, okay, so we're comparing, we're, we're thinking that people are going to get lost inside of these experiences. But we already know people are very lost inside of the current experiences we have. So if you imagine just grabbing your iPhone and bringing it closer to your face, that's literally all VR is doing. It's just bringing it closer to your face. But instead of it being a passive experience, like sitting down and going through Netflix, it's a very active embodied experience. So that's what is very exciting to me is now we're the character, now we're the hero inside of the journey, as opposed to watching the journey unfold. And there's a lot of beauty to that. One of our other uh, experiences is called Audio Trip. It's been doing really well in the Oculus market recently, which we're thrilled about. And it's a full body ecstatic dance game. You're fully moving. People are losing hundreds of pounds, like crazy stories of people that have never wanted to work out a day in their life. And now they're quote unquote playing a video game and they're sweating what we like won a VR fitness insider award for most calories burned 
in a VR experience. And it was actually tracked burning more calories than a singles game of tennis on the, on the higher difficulties. My whole thing is, is yes, of course, we're going to be consumed. We are already consumed, but how can we make these technologies more embodied? Um, so yeah, there is a dependency or the fear of consumption but at this point, it's going to continue happening. The train is already moving. Uh, it's just a matter of being able to work within those systems and make them experiences that make you feel amazing when you take the headset off. Let's zoom out. And from your whole career, from building transformational experiences at events through to the work that you're doing now, what have you learned that you might impart as nuggets of wisdom or psychedelic therapists. As you know, many of the people listening to this podcast are themselves therapists or aspire to be so, or perhaps enthusiasts of the space. What have you learned in designing experiences, particularly those for healing containers, that might be helpful for the psychedelic therapist listening? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like the drum that's always played is set and setting, which of course is extremely important. Overall, for me personally, my personal philosophy, it comes down to who you're working with, the partnerships, not working in a silo, where I'm very focused on who we could collaborate with and how to build out an entire ecosystem to support these experiences from beginning to end. I think that, yeah, that there should be more diversity in what patients are going through. And I think that all these things should be looked at because they're either gateways in or they're tools to support it. We see it as, as a way to continue to create experiences that touch on all sorts of different people from around the world and age groups and ethnicities and whatever their beliefs are to potentially be a gateway into self-healing and transformation. So as you mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, you are involved in many different sorts of ventures. You're involved in a lot of different biohacking experimentation. You've got a whole dojo. You're also working with three different companies at the moment in the space, one of which, Genius X, is an education platform in VR. And you let me know before we started that you're actually working with Deanne Adamson, who's been also been on this podcast, and her network of psychedelic integration coaches being true to you, which came out of the Crossroads Ibogaine Clinic in Mexico some years ago. Many great minds came from that place. Mm -hmm. um, that you're actually going to be working with Deanne Adamson. So I'm seeing your passion for mental health and most especially psychedelic therapy showing up in some other ventures in your life. So I wanted to just give you a moment here to share a little bit about Genius X and how you're educating potential psychedelic therapists and integration coaches through that platform. Yeah, absolutely. So this idea and, and company has been spawned out of the Genius Network. Joe Polish is an amazing entrepreneur and created this mastermind group. And over right in the beginning of the pandemic, he was really thinking about how to make the, the experience more than what Zoom could ever be and actually turning it into a VR project. So I got brought on to consider those possibilities and it became very clear very quickly that this wasn't just a project for a mastermind group, that this is a all-encompassing education platform that basically creates Hogwarts inside of VR. So what you can imagine as a magical school used for the next level of e-learning coaches and anyone that coaches online to bring their ex experience into, again, away from the asynchronous passive content absorption that is 
what a 2D screen could provide into a full-bodied, community-based, virtual world that has endless possibilities. So we've been building it. We're deep into development. We're planning on releasing at the beginning of, of next year, 2022. And it's very much focused on bringing forward heart-centered entrepreneurs that are making a meaningful impact and taking their experience to the next level. So Deanne's a perfect example. Um, essentially, you would go into this experience. Now, all of a sudden, you're a full-body avatar that looks very similar to what you look like in person. Just imagine kind of like the Pixar version of yourself. And now you're in a giant open play space. We've been very much focused on creating bio-architecture, so like sacred geometry buildings and big expansive open parks and forests that you walk through. And now you're in these virtual meeting spaces where a coach could go in and not actually be an avatar, but be a full-bodied volumetric, which is like a hologram version of themselves teaching. So what this looks like in a live setting is them actually teaching with a community and that community being able to go into breakout groups, being able to rapid prototype or work on things in real time. And then in the evergreen side, it actually is essentially cloning the coach to now, instead of you just watching a pre-recorded course, you're going in there with a bunch of your classmates and you're able to have the, the sense of community that a live experience would provide inside of VR. So, you know, even if, if someone like Deanne is, is just speaking to a class as this recording, she's surrounded by 40 students and she could snap her fingers and all of a sudden you warp into a different zone. And that zone is a breakout group where you're now processing the things that came up for you, how you're going to integrate this into your own practice. And then she snaps her fingers and you get warped right back into the main room. So you can imagine like this happy hour experience where you're socializing with people, but it's all happening inside of a virtual world. And finally, the technology is there to do it. The only current experiences that are out there right now are very much around recreating a digital office space and using whiteboards, which I think has its place, but there's this huge need for education platform to be what VR is supposed to be. It's supposed to be fun and engaging and using your full body and inspiring a sense of wonder and play as you go through the learning process. Very much a hero's journey type of, of story that we're, we're creating from start to finish as a student, or what we call a scholar, goes through different courses that they sign up for. Now, I imagine that this could be incredibly helpful for a psychedelic therapist because you could create in a virtual space an experience of crisis that a patient might have in a psychedelic therapy experience so that when psychedelic therapists are learning how to triage certain medical emergencies that might occur, they could actually play that out in a virtual experience with the kind of intensity that one would need a series of highly paid actors to be able to... to to garner that experience. So you could actually create that in a virtual space where they're responding in real time to something that was maybe recorded from an actor at a certain point, but feels very real where the unexpected can really happen and they have to think on their feet. This could be an incredible part of training for psychedelic therapy. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a completely unexplored space. 
I like to say that we have a team of Edward Snowdens. We have like these amazing savant developers. Um, and the big tagline for the company is your world, your vision. So not only are we an educational platform, but we're also a custom development studio, meaning if a therapist wanted to come in and create these types of scenarios or even have visualization where the student is jumping into a waterfall to like release their emotional trauma or whatever it is, we could actually create that inside of a 3D space very quickly. And yeah, that's that was a huge premise for why we built the company in the first place is I was being approached constantly with Andromeda around breathwork instructors and mastermind groups and all these people wanting to create their experience in VR. And the only thing I could do is point them to some third-party development studio that does a lot of of licensed work, you know, that they're kind of just fully detached from the end experience. They're doing it as a retainer and just one of many clients. And then once they actually create that experience, which will be highly overpriced and take year, a year or two to develop, then they have to worry about who's actually going to see this, who's going to distribute it, publish it, license it, all those things. So now we've created a platform that could cater to all of that and do it at a fraction of the cost and do it very quickly because we have a lot of built-in tools on the for the baseline of the platform. And then with my background in distribution, we could actually start to publish it to the different big hardware platforms that now all of a sudden people are coming into the platform, not only from your audience, but just from the general audience of VR users, which to date has been growing exponentially at this point. I think at the beginning of the year, there was like 7 million active VR users, um, and now it's well past 20 million. So we're like finally seeing that hockey stick curve. So that's what's so exciting about it. It is a very exciting time. The future is here, and thank God we have you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thanks, so if, if people, um, people want to follow your work personally, where can people find you? Where can people explore your work? I know you've done some writing. I expect more manifestos from you in the future. I know Robin wrote that manifesto, but I expect manifestos yeah. from you in the future. Yeah. Um, where can people follow you? Yeah, so on all socials, it's at Luminous Lyle. And then I do have my website, which is just my name, Lyle Maxson. And then the companies are GeniusX.com. The new digital therapeutics company is Entheo.digital. Uh, and then the publishing company is Andromeda, enterandromeda.com. So yeah, and then LinkedIn, honestly, is like the best place to message me. Yeah, and so if we do all our good psychedelic therapy and all our biohacking, maybe we'll all have as much bandwidth as you seem to do. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, but uh yeah, I, I think it's really inspiring what you're doing. And I, I feel myself inspired in this very conversation. And I appreciate that you're spending time thinking about what's happening in the space, what the future might look like, and what need what we need to be aware of. You know, data sovereignty is huge, for example. So I love that your mind is here in in this. And I love that you're working with Deanne Adamson, who's who's wonderful. And I'm really excited. I didn't get a chance to try Sound Self before this interview. So We'll have to do that at some point soon so I can give a full review. We'll yeah, give you the full experience. Plug me in. Well, Lyle, thank you so much for coming on the uh, Psychedelic Therapy Podcast today. I look forward to watching your work develop in the coming years, and I'm grateful for our newly blossoming friendship as well. Absolutely. Likewise. Thank you for joining us on the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please join the Psychedelic Therapy Facebook group to talk about it. You can also share it with your friends or leave a review on iTunes so more people can discover the show. The Psychedelic Therapy Podcast is presented by Maya, a platform designed to help psychedelic therapists manage and measure client journeys. You can head to mayahealth.com to learn more. 
The show is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide mental health or medical advice. Thanks for listening.